So you decided you want to buy a gun, but how do you choose which one? You don't have time to test every handgun, rifle, and shotgun out there. NorCal Gun Vault can help you out. Yeah, the folks that work there are passionate about firearms. They hunt, they shoot. You can tell it's not just a job for them, and it shows in their ability to find the perfect firearm for you. NorCal Gun Vault is fully stocked with hundreds of handguns, rifles, shotguns, not to mention tons of ammo, dozens of accessories. Yeah, whether shooting is just a hobby, you're a hunter, or you're thinking about owning your first gun, NorCal Gun Vault has exactly what you're looking for. By the way, if cash is tight right now, but you really want to get a gun, NorCal Gun Vault will work with you to create a layaway program individually tailored to what makes sense for your budget. NorCal Gun Vault opens seven days a week, locally owned and operated. Check them out at NorCalGunVault.com. NorCalGunVault.com. It really matters when you're dealing with experts. Go to NorCalGunVault.com, NorCalGunVault.com. Wow. Uh, Let me check a couple of these texts real quick. Um, Getting back to the conversation of... So Marshall had this study, which I'm sure is stupid and pointless, but uh, as a lot as a lot of studies are, not just the ones Marshall brings you, but uh, well, I've said this for years. When you hear on the radio or TV, a new study says 95% of the time, the methodology behind that study was so bad that there's no point of even discussing it, but it all just gives us a conversation starter, right? Yeah. I guess that's what we're looking for. Uh, but the study was... How many sexual partners people have had in their lives? And uh, two is low, fifteen is too high. Most I don't know what six or seven. I don't know what too too low means. <laughs> I don't know exactly. I mean, who's making that judgment? And what does that mean? I'm you making the lived, judgment. You haven't been, so if you're if you're dating a girl and you ask her and she says two, what do you then think of her? Since, you, okay. since we know for a fact you think something bad of her if her number is high, what do you think of her if her number is low? <laughs> She's a loving, a good girl. So I thought you said... Not promiscuous. Not out there. But I thought you said it was. there's a number that's too low, as in that's a problem. No, I didn't say that. Okay. Did I? Well, I saying to too low makes it seem like they're, well, yeah, that should be more. Like, yeah. No, the study is saying the number two is seen as too low. Okay. I think that's what Marshall And said. I don't know what that means. Yeah. So people are in a relationship with someone and they hear a low number and then they think, well, you must be what? <laughs> uh, a nut or? I don't know. Experienced, lame, boring. Okay. Uh, so I'll hit you with some of the texts we got on that. Oh, because Sean and I said we've we we we've never had that conversation with uh, people we were in relationships with, and I don't understand why you would. You've said you've always had that conversation, and you wouldn't understand why you wouldn't. Correct. Which is quite a different opinion. Oh, we did get this text. Oh, you'll forgive her, Vince. <laughs> oh, thank God she has your forgiveness for her indiscretions prior to even meeting you. That's the most misogynistic thing anyone in your show has ever said. Very disappointed. That is a claim. Well, Joe's not here, Joe's not here today, so i got to pick up the slack. That is a claim. <laughs> now, that's a statement. Uh, I have never asked anyone about their number and have never been asked by my partner. It's quality, not quantity. I don't know what that means, really. But you, Sounds you like somebody with a low number. Do you, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lame. Uh, Do you wonder? 
I don't want uh, to date anyone who has been with anybody in my family or any of my friends. So you ask for specific names? <laughs> <laughs> I would I would agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah, that's that is weird. Yeah. That is weird. But how would you know? Unless yeah, been with a hundred people, but none of them are your family or friends. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I was a man whore when I was younger. Didn't get married till I was 35. My number is in the hundreds. Wow. The hundreds. I don't understand how you even pull off that lifestyle. It just, it seems like that would have to be your goal. I have one friend who is probably up there, or at least in the, in the 90s, I would say. Uh, but yeah, he, he was a man whore. But that would have to be your goal, right? Well, that was his goal for oh, okay. several, several years. And he was he's a good-looking dude, so it wasn't a problem for him. Yeah, I'm not sure that that means uh, that that's very healthy. Men- oh, yeah. From a mental standpoint, I think it means there's something going on there. Because, yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're in any relationships and you're not cheating on them, that takes up such a chunk of your life that to come up with a number in the hundreds means, well, you just weren't. Either you weren't faithful to anybody or you weren't in any relationships. Yeah, but now he's... Which is weird. He's doing the dad thing, the family thing. And, he's, uh-huh. so and, uh, and he's does, he, does he stay uh, faithful? I think so. Huh. Does his wife know that? <laughs> I don't know. Does she know now? Since you talked about it? <laughs> no. Do you think she'd be bothered by that? Uh, nah. Uh, my number is in the hundreds, said this guy, but I have never asked a partner and don't want to know, although my first relationship girlfriend came out and told me her number was two. I still kick myself to this day that I didn't marry her. Sounds hot. Because that number makes her more marryable. I'm guessing is that what he means. It does. It's 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 the whole behavior thing. What? <laughs> Someone with two partners is a, is generally a, well not a, a, a porn actress. Somebody with ten isn't a porn actress as well. Yeah, five times a porn actress. I have been asked and always dodged the question. I've been asked if I wanted their number, and my reply has always been, I don't want to know. Uh, I'm a 43-year-old female and place myself in the over 15 category. I look at anyone with a low number the same way Jacks look at people who don't drink coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Just think it's kind of weird? I waited until college, and I'm by no means promiscuous, but in less than you've been married for many years, a low number just means you're missing out. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the the low number, there's a, I I would uh, assume that people with low numbers are more likely to kind of have those strange midlife, did I miss out on the that time of my life sort of reenactments. Does that make sense? Where I, I don't know, and yeah. I, it certainly could be. I don't know if that's true, but that certainly could. Be. But that that would be the concern for me if the if the number could possibly be quote-unquote too low it's like well this person hasn't experienced enough of life to know if i'm the right person yet yeah right like that's that's would that would be my only possible concern not that there is any reason to have concern at all but i'm i would be what sort of factors led to that you know it, i'm sure there's perfectly reasonable reasons to have that too but that would be the 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 issue that kind of set off in my mind is does this person have enough dating experience to know if I'm right or not. Correct. And, and and I would say there's a double standard. Blame society, but a low number for a girl means something different than a low number for a guy, generally uh, speaking. Yeah, well, could be right. It, age plays such a huge role in this, and it never gets factored in. If you're 50 years old and have never been married, you could have been in... Uh, you could certainly be in... 
10 two-year relationships, which would give you 20 people. <laughs> no, it'd be 10 people. All right, but you could be in 20, uh, re- 20 one-year relationships. Yeah. That would be 20 people. You could have dated 20 people for a year each. I mean, that's a full-on relationship. We went out, we dated for a long time, we decided to break up. And you got 20 people for a number. You're 50 years old. That could happen, right? Yes. And that's an extreme example, but it just points out age has got something to do with it. I think whether or not you were uh, like in a relationship with all these people or just, you know, getting hammered at the bar and ending up there is different too. Does does that does that not play a role somehow? Definitely. In your view? Yeah, like one night stands or or strays at the bar. Strays. <laughs> Uh, it's a, something hmm. to think about. <laughs> oh yeah, they're wandering all over the, the single scene. You see them all the time. Just put out a saucer of milk, and yeah, yeah. Modern dating is very different. Uh, gotcha. But that, but that, that the number is the the overall number still has a, an impact. Uh, I was dating a girl. She was my seventh. I was her twenty eighth. It wasn't a good feeling. Ooh. If you're keeping track and you're on like on a weird number like 28, does that mean something that you don't just like yeah, I your would, answer wouldn't be I don't know it's got to be somewhere in a, I would have to do some actual sitting down and figuring out to the uh, fact that you're keeping me, track yeah, but, yeah, like, immediately come up with uh, this would be number 28. I don't just, just look down at your belt. Let's see, count the notches. That and, seems a little strange to what, me. And what if 28 is lying and it's it's higher or lower? If you're gonna lie, if you're gonna lie, why would you throw out the number twenty eight? Because it sounds it sounds unliable. It's like why would they make up that number? Maybe it was February. God, I worked with a girl who uh, went out to the bars every night, and I remember her saying at the end of one year, she said, "I went back over my year, and fifty two guys, one for every week of the year." Jeez, God, that is not good. That is not a good lifestyle. Did you look at her differently, or did you already kind of well, know I, that? Everybody knew that was kind of her lifestyle, although that was an extraordinarily high number. Uh, what's the, it takes all kinds to make the world go round. <laughs> rather be in a, a year, wow. I'd rather be Mr. January than Mr. December. If you know You're in a lot of different interesting situations, though. Yeah. Um, so there you go. There's that. Um, living paycheck to paycheck is a way of life for a majority of U.S. workers. More people do that than don't, including people who make decent salaries, so it's... To a certain extent, a choice to live this way. And as I said earlier, you have an economic downturn or something comes along to upset the apple cart whenever people are paycheck to paycheck, and you could have some serious social unrest. I'll hit you with those numbers coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Have a good newscast coming up. Some interesting stuff, including this video has gone viral of a cheerleader camp and the way they're uh, handling these these young girls and making them cry and really pushing them. Uh, it's it's something and getting a lot of attention. So we'll have a little bit of that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. We've talked about this a lot over the years. Um. 
new survey out, how many people live paycheck to paycheck? The headline being it's a way of life for a majority of uh, U.S. workers. Well, that understates it. Do you count down to payday every two weeks or every month? You're not alone. More than three quarters, 78% of workers are living paycheck to paycheck to make ends meet. It's up from 75% last year, uh, so it's growing as opposed to shrinking. 78% of people are paycheck to paycheck. Uh, More among women than men, but it's not that far off, 81% to 75%. Uh, 38% of employees said they sometimes live paycheck to paycheck. 17% said they usually do. 23% said they always do. Um, And uh, it stretches across different salaries. This is a national survey by the Harris Poll, by the way. This is a real poll. This is not one of those... You know, a credit card didn't come do it and then say, so well, you need our credit card. It's not one of those things. Having a higher salary doesn't necessarily mean money woes are behind you. By the way, obviously, the, the, the underlying thing behind this is that people don't save money. People aren't saving, um, you know, 100 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or whatever so that they'll have a little money when something comes up. Having a high salary doesn't necessarily mean money woes are behind you. Nearly one in ten workers making a hundred grand or more said they usually or always live paycheck to paycheck. So people with six-figure fag- salaries, one out of ten, are usually or always paycheck to paycheck. Fifty-nine percent in that income bracket are in debt. I don't know what in debt means. I don't know if that includes owning a house because if you own a house, everybody's in debt, right? Practically everybody. I'm assuming that doesn't include owning a house. For people who make between 50 and 100K, 28% usually or always live paycheck to paycheck. For people who make less than 50K, you've got uh, about half of people usually or always live paycheck to paycheck. As an employer, says this employer, your employees' financial problems become your financial problems. Workers constantly thinking about their financial struggles may be less productive. I don't know if I believe that. I think if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you might be a better employee because you're thinking, I need this job bad. One thing I can't do is get fired or laid off. So I am going to, you know, I'm going to show up and do what I'm told. I would think as an employer, that would be a good thing most of the time. People who who have a little money in the bank are more likely to say, all right, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. Had enough of your S. Yeah. I'm not doing this. That's been my personal experience. And that that was the back in the old company store days, which they outlawed, but they used to do that, like you probably know that, right? At coal mines or whatever. They would pay you in uh in money that you could only spend at the company store. And so you would go to the company store and they would have these inflated prices, but that was the only place you could spend your money. <laughs> So a gallon of milk would cost 10 bucks, but that's the only place you could spend the money you made here. And they outlawed that for good reason. But they wanted to keep people broke um, because then you, you can't go anywhere. You can't leave and you have to work hard. Huh. So I think I think for employers, that's usually a good thing. It's not a good thing for society, paycheck to paycheck, because if you have a big disruption come along, you know, a, 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 whatever, a horrifying calamity, world war, worldwide depression, whatever, and a whole bunch of people uh, lose their jobs, then all of a sudden you've got all these people that are starving because nobody's got any money. They needed next month's paycheck to make their car payment, to stay in their apartment, to eat. 
now all of a sudden nobody's paying their rent and they're losing their cars and got no money and you have a serious societal problem on your hands. This is how revolutions happen. So that's the the biggest problem for society outside of just your own family. Um, and I think it's pretty easy to imagine what goes on there. God, I, I'm, I try to save so much and then, but it, so I'll, I'll be doing really well. And then like a car repair comes up. That's like a thousand bucks or something. I'll be all right. All right. Got to got knocked back down a little bit. Time to, time to, it's, it's, it's hard to do, man. Well, yeah. having some money so you can make that car repair that knocks it down is something a lot of people don't do. Right. And then you're just effed. And it is a, it is a recent phenomenon for me to have that feeling of, oh, good. Or, oh, crap, it's a bad car repair. Oh, good, I can afford it, right? Like, that is that is a cool feeling for me that is something that's relatively new. I mean, I've... I, did, did, did that have to do with salary or just discipline? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, I've never made a ton of money uh, in, in various industries and, and careers. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly... certainly li- I mean, I've... There were things that I could have gone to less movies or less concerts yeah, or I, I buy think, a less you know buy one less video game or whatever you know. There's things I could have done, so it's it's certainly a combination of both. Here's where I get judgy and piss some people off, but I think the claim that I don't make enough money to save any money I think is always a dodge. I mean, I've been I've had jobs that paid freaking nothing, but I was still eating out now and then. I was still doing a variety of things that I could have cut out and at least saved ten dollars a week. Or fifty bucks a month, or something like that, and I didn't. Yeah, it's hard though. Like every time I leave the house, it seems that just money just goes out. I mean, if I wanted to just embrace the hermit lifestyle, staying home is. Uh, back when I was uh, making nothing, and like if I did have something come up, like a car repair or something like that, that was that was the way I would uh, get myself out of my hole. I'd do nothing. Yeah. I'd stay home and do nothing. You can save a lot of money by doing nothing. Eating out's a big one. So they got a list here of things people are uh, how willing you are to give various things up. Fifty-four percent of people said they'd never give up their internet connection. Boy, right. what's an internet connection cost on average for people? Depends on speed, but somewhere between like fifty and a hundred bucks. That's yeah. that's that's a chunk of money. Yeah. yeah, that's a chunk of money. And you could go over to the Starbucks and sit there and do your internet stuff, and you, all of a sudden you're saving a hundred dollars a month. I know you don't want to, but isn't it better than being paycheck to paycheck? What if you did that for a year and you saved up twelve hundred dollars? Do they let you watch porn at the Starbucks? <laughs> Cheat. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Make sure your laptop's facing the wall. <laughs> I didn't want to turn this into a music lecture. Why is that guy taking people? his laptop into the bathroom? Ew. That's gross. I shouldn't uh, have said yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was, well. Although, internet is like telephone now, so I don't know if uh, if you could classify it as It'd be tough to TV live without the whatever. internet, but it's also being tough having zero money in the bank if something happens. Uh, your smartphone, 53% would not give up their smartphone ever. Yeah. Driving about half. Thirty-seven percent said they'd never give up their pets. God, there's another <laughs> great example. If you're paycheck to paycheck and you have a dog or a cat, yeah. then you have no excuse. G- don't have a dog or cat. What are you spending per year on your dog or cat? God, that's a, that's a common one, and it's easy to spend thousands of dollars on dogs and cats. Not just the food and the leashes and this. Every now and then, you got a vet bill, you got this, and it adds up. Don't have a freaking pet for your paycheck to paycheck. But there's are so cute. I mean, that's a huge reason why I don't have a dog is just because I, I am not at the point where my lifestyle would allow a good life for the dog. You know, being a, living in an apartment, that's not a great place for it. Or, well, you know, I, if if it was running around and popped an ACL or something, I don't know what I would do. 11% would never give up alcohol. <laughs> God, I just, I spent a lot of uh, my early years just 
Every once in a while, I'd be in a situation where I was willing to buy a bottled beer at the bar, beer in a bottle, because I thought that tasted so much better. But I just I consider that something rich people did for years, wow. as opposed to the draft beer, which was usually flat and a little warm, but it was cheaper. Uh, buying gifts for people, 13% of people would never give that up. Education, 13% would never give it up. So it's low percentages. But pretty high percentage of people that would never give up their internet, their mobile phone, their driving, or their pets. The okay. pet seems like the one that would be most... Oh, God, you gotta. If you're paycheck to paycheck and yeah. you have a pet, that's just a mistake. But they become like family members. They think they're human, too. Well, they need to get a job. <laughs> the, the, but I agree with Vince that the the internet in modern society is... Especially... In terms of just job hunting, it's almost all internet-based now. Yeah, it's which, like electricity uh, or, or water. Yeah, it, it almost feels like there something that you can't live without. There you're making an argument for the Supreme Court. I was going to talk about that later. So uh, Google and Facebook and a variety of people have kicked off these hate groups. I'm using my finger quotes because sometimes these hate groups that get kicked off are not that hateful. They're just politics you don't agree with. Sometimes they are hate groups. And uh, the argument is being made is... Is Google and Facebook the new free speech? Is this is this a violation of free speech because this is the way we communicate in the modern world? Kind of fits into what you were just saying. Might talk about that a little bit later. What do you got coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, Powerball lottery mistake causing mass confusion this morning. You've got generals in the White House revamping the Oval Office and high school administrators and cheerleading coaches now being investigated after some pretty disturbing videos get released. Those stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. People like videos, but these are disturbing videos. And um, how common this is, I don't know. A, a cheerleader camp where they're just abusing these kids, it certainly looks like. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. This cheerleader story is going to interest you, so stay tuned to Through the News with Marsha Phillips. Well, right now we're uh, talking about some mass confusion this morning surrounding the huge $758 million Powerball jackpot. I did not win. I'm positive I didn't win because I did not buy a ticket. Well, there you go. Well, now the head of the Massachusetts State Lottery says a transcription error led the organization to wrongly identify the store that sold the loan-winning Powerball ticket. Why is this getting so much media attention? Well, because, because so many people play the lottery? So many people, there's been so much attention on it, and this was a really major snafu. I mean, you say, hey, it was one in this city. I mean, it was both in Massachusetts, both cities, but they identified the wrong store and the wrong city, and now they're saying, ah, oh, it was a transcription error. That's what it was. Well, but- is it because it, 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 it makes people think, wait a second, maybe they don't know what they're doing? Because we all assume the lottery's on the up and up. They pick up, they pick these random numbers and random people win. But you make a mistake like this and all of a sudden, wait a second, is there somebody pulling some strings deciding when somebody should win and where they win? And- or maybe I won. Well, <laughs> the other and the other thing too that came out is okay. You make a mistake like this. How are we sure about the numbers right. and what other mistakes might there be? Anyway, even if you can't claim the grand prize, don't throw out your tickets without checking them first. You still may have won a smaller prize. I know I did. And back in D.C., recently installed White House Chief of Staff John Kelly appears to have restored order to a really chaotic White House, with one big exception. That would be President Trump's tendency to wander off script every now and again. But Kelly is getting credit 
for limiting dissenting voices, restricting access to the president, and stacking the deck on major decisions to steer Donald Trump toward a concrete outcome. Kelly, of course, a former general. And needed to be done, this article in the Washington Post yesterday, military leaders consolidate power in Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And it's about how many generals there are around him, whether it's Mattis as Secretary of Defense, Kelly, as you just mentioned, as Chief of Staff, or McMaster as the National Security Advisor. He's got these generals around him that uh, all seem to agree on what direction the country ought to go. Mm And are um, uh, influenced the president in in ways. Well, I'll read this quote. This is the only time in modern presidential history where we've had a small number of people from the uniformed world hold this much influence over the chief executive. Right now, they're playing an extraordinary role. Um, I, I don't know. The Washington Post is kind of hinting that we should be concerned about this. I don't know. I mean, Trump put them in their positions, right. so it's not like they took charge. He chose generals on purpose. And it's funny because Robert Costa, who wrote this story for the Washington Post, I saw him on Charlie Rose just the other night. He said, one thing I can tell you from my reporting is nobody's telling Trump what to do. Trump makes his own decisions. Any of this talk about puppet masters or anything like that is not true. Trump does whatever he wants to do. So if anything, if you're worried about Donald Trump, I'm not particularly, but if you are, this article says you got a bunch of generals close to him that are going to keep things right. from getting too far off track. Right. And the other thing, too, is Kelly's turned out to be a really great gatekeeper. Oh, Not yeah, necessarily yeah. telling Trump what to do. He's just organizing yeah, things. He needed that bad. Oh, yeah. A high school principal, an assistant principal, and three cheerleading coaches have been put on administrative leave after disturbing videos surfaced in Denver. In eight different videos, cheer coaches at East Denver High are shown forcibly pushing girls into an extended split position. In one video, you can hear freshman Allie Wakefield crying for the coach to stop. I was pushing like with his other knee on my back to try to keep my posture straight. It was tearing my ligament and my muscle at the same time. If that was my kid and you showed me that video, police would have to stop me from beating that person to death, that coach. You'd have to stop me physically from killing that person. What the F is wrong with you people? And I've got, it's funny, I was talking to a friend yesterday. His uh, daughter is an athlete and she just went off to college and she's she's on an athletic scholarship and everything. And he said it's brutal how hard they push these kids. They, they now do, and cheerleading, I've got uh, one of my nieces in cheerleading. They do it year-round now. Right. All the sports are year-round. It used to be for a couple of months. Now it's not only the whole school year, it's all summer. And you do it year-round, and they're always injured, and so they limp around in pain. You never have a chance to heal up, and we're doing this with children. Right. That's bad enough. You get it to this level where you're physically pushing this kid down as they scream, stop, I don't want to do this. You should go to jail, and what the freak is wrong with you and all the people around you who aren't saying, whoa, dude, or ma'am, you're out of, what is wrong with you? How do we get this far off track with athletics? It's crazy. You know, and the competition is so fierce in cheerleading. People, I'm sure people realize that by now. 
but it is so fierce, and yeah. these kids are amazing athletes. So my buddy told me this, yeah. and this is the way they get around it. None of this stuff is mandatory, oh. but guess what? If you don't do it, right. you're not going to be uh, on the starting team or one of the head, you know, starting cheerleaders or whatever. Right. So it's not mandatory, but if it comes down to you or her or you or him and whether or not you're playing in this game, we'll go with the one who did come to practice all summer long as opposed to the one who didn't. Right. So it is more or less mandatory if you want to be successful at it. Right. And they're it- just abusing the bodies of all these children. Anyway, so is anybody talking about charges or anybody being fired or they, they are all on paid leave right now paid administrative leave while the investigation continues if you got any comment on that our text line 415-295-KFTC yeah the police are investigating they're going through the videos they got eight videos people you know anonymous people sent eight videos so there was enough concern amongst you know God, that's crazy and so there's a yeah. whole bunch of adults in the room and somebody didn't stop that immediately if I'm not running around by, whoa, whoa, stop! What the hell are you doing? You stop it right yeah. then. I don't take a cell phone video and then release it to the press. Right. Well, God, police, that's crazy. Police are going to see if any of the coaches will face criminal charges. I, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if this is becoming more and more standard procedure, this kind of thing. I mean, it that, that, that's that's brutal video. That's why I'd like to hear from people. 415-295-KFTC. Is this pretty common? That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. Um, so we got a little more info on a crazy story that they might have to make a movie out of. Are diplomats in Cuba that are going deaf because of this weird attack from the Cubans? We got a report on that coming up. It's really interesting, the Armstrong and Getty Show. Outside of sports or have kids and cheerleading variety of uh, viewpoints on this video that's making the rounds of a cheerleading camp in Colorado where they're clearly, I mean, it's hard to imagine how this, you, you can explain this away, taken out of context or whatever, clearly physically abusing little girls. And um, we'll, we'll get into that more next hour, I'm sure. This, this is going to get a lot of people's attention. I just wonder how common it is. Well, according to a lot of, a lot of you texting... It's fairly common. So, again, we'll get into that more next hour. Uh, so this story's been uh, bumping around. I've just been kind of half paying attention. It just sounds so crazy. It sounds like something out of a, a spy thriller. We've got some U.S. diplomats that are being deafened by some sort of weird sonic attack by the bad guys in Cuba. Let's try to figure out what's going on there. What do you say to that? Let's talk to Steve Kassenbaum, Westwood Wooden Reporter. Steve, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Let's start at the beginning on this. What happened? So the first symptoms, according to the State Department spokesperson, uh, were reported as far back as December. People complaining uh, in Havana, staffers at the embassy complaining of, of headaches, of uh, hearing loss, of not being able to sleep, of feeling disoriented. Uh, and after some more people started coming forward with these similar symptoms, uh, officials started to connect the dots. And some of the uh, State Department employees in Havana were flown to Florida for treatment after uh, expressing these symptoms. And it turned out that a few of them apparently 
had some uh, minor traumatic brain injuries and some damage to their uh, neurological systems. And it's believed that they were the victims of some sort of sonic assault and that it may have even been taking place at their homes, at the residences uh, allotted to uh, diplomats in Havana. Can, do, do we have any guess as to what the Cubans would be trying to accomplish by deafening our diplomats? No, that, that we don't know. We do know that the United States has take, had taken some action against the Cuban diplomats here, uh, telling some in Washington, D.C. to go back to Cuba a while ago. As since or prior to, to these sonic attacks? Uh, uh, since the uh, sonic attacks. So this so was, was our retaliation, or this was our response. Yes. Okay. It, essentially, yes. And uh, it's not clear exactly what was done. I mean, we, we all know that there are frequencies that are inaudible to the human ear, but uh, could still be uh, damaging and, and uh, you know, at certain decibel levels. So uh, it's not really clear what this was, what, what this was, what was being used, what the intent was, how often it was taking place. But it was what they called the sustained attack. Fidel's dead. His brother's in charge. Is there still any relationship between uh, the current Castro and the Russians? Uh, There's definitely uh, an economic relationship there for sure. Uh, The Russians do not uh, bankroll Cuba, but they do have uh, a a, a definitely trade between the two nations, absolutely. I just, you know, when I hear about things happening anywhere in the world now, I think Putin. I mean, because he just, he's, he's, you know, he's wreaking havoc all over the planet. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cuban Airlines, for instance, uh, you know, their own uh, airplanes, many of them are Russian jets. Uh, so th- there's definitely economic cooperation between Cuba and Russia, but uh, Russia does not su- provide it, the support that it, it once did many decades ago. Is there any chance there's some sort of accident, like there's some piece of equipment, you know, uh, putting out a sound that damage it? Because it's just hard to come up with a motivation what what they could possibly accomplish by doing this, unless you're just cruel. It, it's definitely a possibility, but it's not something that I've heard uh, public officials okay. here in the United States uh, talk about. You know, audio has long been used as a weapon in the tension between Cuba and the United States. Uh, the United States has long blasted uh, broadcasts of uh, anti-Cuban regime uh, programming on radio waves into Cuba, which Cuba spends a ton of money to block. Uh, and then uh, the Cuban uh, authority has, had, for a while, had blasted heavy metal music outside uh, the, the U.S. Uh, facility there. Uh, there wasn't an embassy. There wasn't a consulate, but there was what they call the U.S. interest uh, section there, kind of like a, a watered-down consulate uh, in Havana. I didn't know that, that. and they, to... they blasted loud music at us all the time? Yeah, they used to blast, they used to set up speakers and just uh, try to annoy uh, the Americans uh, working there, I guess, uh, and, and, and blasted really loud heavy metal music, yeah. God, that's so childish. I mean, our <laughs> what we're doing, I you can understand the point of that. You're trying to get information to the people in a closed society where they don't have free speech, to make them more free. Them just deafening our diplomats or playing <laughs> rock and roll is just effing with people. Yeah, pretty much that's what they were doing. Yeah, and um, you know, everybody who works in Cuba uh, who is uh, you know employee of the State Department is made aware that you know, th- there's probably uh, an attempt to 
uh, infiltrate uh, their their messaging, you know, whatever they're doing, uh, you know, back at home that they that there may be listening devices that uh, their communications are probably being monitored. You know, when when I was in Cuba uh, for journalism reasons, uh, even just to turn on the satellite uh, dish to transmit uh, back in the back in the, back then, and, and I'm talking about nine years ago, required permission from uh, the foreign ministry. So it's um, you know, they, they tightly control information still in, in Cuba. Is a Cohiba that great a cigar? I had one once. It didn't strike me as that fantastic. I was pretty drunk, though. I'm not a, I'm not a cigar smoker, but I will tell you this. The rum uh, is pretty good. And really? Definitely, uh, I know Bacardi originated in, in Cuba and then uh, went to Puerto Rico uh, after Cuba uh, you know, fell under Castro's control, but uh, th- th- there's a difference, definitely, between Bacardi so, and the rum in Cuba. Final question for Steve Kastenbaum, Westwood, Westwood One reporter. How seriously are we taking this? I mean, if it what looked like happened, they physically assaulted some of our diplomats. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, according to the State Department spokesperson yesterday, they're taking this very seriously. It's characterized as a sustained prolonged assault on American uh, diplomats. You know what I say we do? What's that? We get a bunch of people, maybe some foreigners in some boats, and we invade the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> what do you think of that? Think that's a good I idea? I don't know. Uh, I, I, we need to study history first okay. before uh, we do that. It's yet. just I was thinking off the top of my head. Steve Kastenbaum, okay. Westwood One reporter and, uh, and rum correspondent. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure. <laughs> Have you ever had a Cahiba? That's the famous... The most famous Cuban cigar that has been illegal in the United States for like 50 years. The rich and powerful and people in government get them, of course, but the rest of us can't. But I got one one time from a guy, and I thought it was fine at a time when I smoked cigars. But again, I was drunk, so it's hard to tell. (laughs) Uh, You are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.